Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Plus Football. He's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east. Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast, the number one and probably the only podcast on Ukrainian football in English. We're here as always, excited to bring you more intriguing insight into the wonderful world of Ukrainian football. Joining me as always, my good friend, my excellent co-host, Mr. Zori Londons, Andrew. How are you doing, mate? Hello, Adam. Doing very well. Currently sat in Mallorca Airport. Preparing to fly to Barcelona tomorrow morning, where I'm going to see Dynamo Kiev play this week. So let's see if that's going to be any better or more positive. But I'm sure we'll discuss more about that later on this episode. We certainly will. We certainly will. As say, as you said, there, it's been a been a hectic few weeks. You've been popping up all over Europe, uh, following Zabina after your after your trip to. Crivy Rig, which seems like a lifetime ago as well now. I think it was only like two weeks. But how how's it all been? I mean, before we before the national team set off in this October break, it, we said it was going to be pivotal. In your opinion, was it was it a success or a failure? Well, you can say it's neither mediocre on the basis that they're still in with a chance of making the playoffs after a win and a draw against Finland and then drawing against Bosnia. However, it's made their job a lot harder. We needed six points. We only got four. And it means that beating Bosnia and then reliance on Finland not getting something against France, it's it's a bit complicated. We will deal with the actual nitty-gritty of it once we come to the November international break. Ultimately, Ukraine cannot lose in Sarajevo slash Zanitsa in November if they want any chance of making the playoffs. But if you want to go on the positive side of it, Alexander Petrokov is still unbeaten as Ukraine manager. <laughs> Certainly is. And I mean, let's be honest, he's the only manager to have won a game in the group as well. Wow, absolutely. What a legend. But in all seriousness, I mean, what was the atmosphere like in Helsinki? It looked absolutely incredible for us at home. Yeah, Helsinki was really good fun. Um, the Finnish people obviously love a bit of their own ice hockey because they're actually good at it. But I was speaking to some fans post-match and they were saying that football is probably the most popular sport, mainly due to the fact that a lot of people play as youngsters and it's a lot more easily accessible than, say, an ice hockey rink. However, Ukraine got the job done there. It was a rare win, as we've seen this year out of the multiple matches that Ukraine have played, a record-breaking 18 in total come the end of November. And, I mean, that game was enjoyable because we saw the win. It was hard fought. It was very sort of squeaky bum time come the come the end of the game. Could have easily been a, another draw somehow because we saw the players coming through. But, yeah, not, not the worst. It was more the... Lviv match that a lot of people were slightly disappointed in playing quite well in the first half and then completely disintegrating in the second. 
Yeah, it was uh, a bit more disappointing in that game. But once again, I mean, what was the atmosphere like there in Lviv that night? Because it, it just felt absolutely electric. Before the game, was there a real positive belief amongst the supporters that the result was going to come? Of course, because it's Lviv. Everyone knows that Ukraine are unbeaten there, and it was the milestone 20th ever match that Izbirna have played in Lviv. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the win to cap off a a stunning night from the ultras and all the supporters in there where, you know, you don't even need to sing the anthem with a singer. You can just play the music and, and the crowd will do the rest. There was lots of support for Petrakov as well, in particular to the fact that he was really good support for Petrakov in particular. It was something that he said he was unprecedented. He didn't expect it. It was less to do with the football, though, in all honesty, and more to do with the fact that he's been speaking in Ukrainian during his press conferences. And obviously that gets a lot of respect in the patriotic stronghold of Lviv, Bosnia, were a lot better in that second half. And slightly fear for them in the away leg in Bosnia, with Bosnia having a lot of their better players back, mm-hmm. who missed this game like Pjanic, amongst a few others. So it's going to be a tough ask. A draw will, I think, do if certain results go their way, in terms of Bosnia and Finland playing each other and drawing, or something like that. So it's sort of leaving it out of Ukraine's hands. But that game will be the last in the group kind of thing. So Ukraine will know the state of play come kickoff of that match and they'll know what they have to do. And as we always know with Ukraine, it's never easy. They always leave it to the last minute. Let's see what they can do. Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Now, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, over the the last week since since the match about sort of who's who's to blame for all of this. We've as we've mentioned there's been six draws out of the seven games. As looking back at them and Ukraine held the lead in five of them and have given up the lead in five of them. Now Andrew, where I mean where do you see it going wrong? Not only during the Petrikov era, post eras, but during the Shevchenko games back in March as well. I mean for you what where what sort of the crux of the problem with this second half drop off and giving up the leads as they've done so often this year? Well, it was something me and you were discussing at the game the other day that we went to see mm. Shakhtar Zorya, which we'll discuss further later in the episode. But it seems to be coming down to the fact of the majority of the squad is made up of UPL players at the end of the day, and especially this time round when Zinchenko and Malinovsky weren't included due to injury, due to not being favoured by the manager. So the real seeming reason that anyone can deduce from at the moment is the fact that in the UPL, Dynamo Shakhtar, come the second half, they never really face a high-tempo, high-intensity opponent. And that's affecting them when it comes to the international games, because they either lose their energy, they lose their concentration. They just can't keep that going or even train that up in like five days before an international match comes up. Okay. Yeah. They play in the champions league and the Europa league or whatever, but that's similar in those games as well. And then they've also got foreign based players in those teams too. Like the Brazilians, you can argue somehow, uh, a bit more energetic and all that kind of thing. So it's different in that regard. It's just something that sadly, yes, some people don't want to blame the league itself, which 
you can say that it might not affect European performances, say in the club competitions, because of those multifaceted approaches, the multifaceted sides of the squad. But when it comes to the national team, it does seem to be the crux of the problem at the moment. I'm not sure how it could be solved until maybe more stronger clubs come through. Maybe Metalist might help that, at least add an extra two fixtures per season to those to those guys. Maybe even Krivbas might start showing something normal if they get promoted. But, you know, it's going to be difficult. And I mean, for the time being, it's something that Ukraine are going to have to live with. And probably they just need to finish their chances when they get them. It's a similar story in Dynamo, even in Shakhtar. They get loads of chances, especially in the first half of games, but they just can't finish the game off. Even if you went 2-0 into the break, I know I say it's the most dangerous scoreline, but at least it would give like an extra cushion to what you're defending against. And in particular in the Bosnia game, when Petrikov brought on Sidorchuk and Sakan in like the 72nd minute when Ukraine were only 1-0 up, and then literally about five minutes later, trying to park the bus, Ukraine got overwhelmed and conceded, not directly as a fault of Sidorchuk or anything, but still, it was sort of that negative outlook that ultimately cost Ukraine the game. Mm-hmm. Petrikov is slightly one-dimensional in that respect. You know, he went all all park the bus, all defensive. And then like in the last 10 minutes after conceding to make it one, all knowing that they needed to go for the win, he just threw on two attackers. It's that kind of like <laughs> throw it on, park the bus, go attacking. No one really knows what's going on. I feel for Petrikov because he is really a man of the people. I know he was got offended by the press the other day, did that 37 word press conference, but that's sort of just the way he is. And Ultimately, because Ukraine won against Finland, he came back to normal uh, in the post-match. <laughs> you, you fear what would have happened had Ukraine not won. It could have gone on forever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and very much one of those that we're going to see, can Ukraine pick themselves up and get the job done? Because rumours have been coming out today that Petrikov, uh, rejected like getting paid like quite a high salary for this current job and he's only getting paid ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars um for his role which is just an increase of twice of his salary that he got for the under 19s let's get down to the nitty-gritty now andrew who were the big hits of the two games so which players really stood out to you and which players were the misses I'd love, to, I'd love to hear what our uh, listeners think as well about this. Do you agree with Andrew's hits and misses from the two matches or not? Well, it's undoubtable that Yeramolenko is the star of the show, really. He got goals in both matches. Sort of a real lease of new life from him. And he just looked so helpless when he got subbed off in the Bosnia game, watching on from the stands and he just you know, couldn't help the side and he seemed really guided, even though probably his energy levels aren't at the best. For me, the other player that really stood out well, especially in the Bosnia game, was Mikola Matsvienko. He had like a great match and I think not many people were noticing much of it, but having sat like behind the stands for one of the halves, he like made block after block after tackle 
it was like a really inspiring display after, I mean, a few games this year, especially maybe at the Euros where he wasn't at his, mm-hmm. at his best. Piatov wasn't too bad either, especially in Bosnia. He pulled off some great saves and, you know, for his 100th, 101st cap, whatever you want to call it, UAF, UEFA rules, he did well. Um, the question is, now that he's been displaced by Trubin again at Shakhtar, he will probably be getting less game practice. He might, that might be it for him. It might be his last appearance against Bosnia. Well, it's certainly a good way to go out with that performance anyway. Like you say, he pulled off a number of key saves. And probably proved his doubters wrong a little bit there as well. All we can do at the moment is discuss and pontificate because Bosnia awaits us next month. COVID levels in Eastern Europe are rising. We don't know if Zabina will face a crowd in Bosnia, what sort of crowd it might be. It could be full stadium. It could be empty. And it's certainly going to impact on the sort of match that will take place then. But we'll be with you at that time. But moving on, international football doesn't rest for us here at Ukraine Plus Football, as Andrew mentioned earlier. He sat in Mallorca, I believe. We've dragged him off the streets from his party in, and he's <laughs> to join us today. But, of course, uh, Dinamo have travelled to Spain as well, ready to face Barcelona in Camp Nou. And... Shakhtar are welcoming Real Madrid to Ukraine this week as well. Ahead of the game, Andrew sat down with Rick Sharma from Siempre Positivo podcast to discuss what's been going on in Spanish football, in particularly with all the problems at Barcelona over the last 12 months and a bit of sort of predictions about what to expect over the two games this week. So we welcome Rick to the pod for the first time. How are you, Rick? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be on. I spoke to you a lot during the summer about Ukraine, so it's good to finally come back onto your pod. Absolutely. Thanks for, um, I guess, repaying the favour. <laughs> it's been a weird season for Barcelona, hasn't it? Can you give us a bit of a breakdown of how they've got on with this post-messy life? What's going on? Well, it's not been a very pleasing start to the season, certainly for Barcelona fans. They've looked a little bit lost without Lionel Messi. In, in, the, in attack. But that's not even the worst problem. The worst problem is the defence is bad and the players, I won't say Ronald Koeman, the coach, has lost the players, but they're, they're, they're getting a bit fed up of him and there's been a war going on between the coach, Koeman, and, and Laporta, the president, which has certainly not helped the club find any balance. And it was only in the, in the last game before the international break when they lost 2-0 against Atletico Madrid that there was finally some calm, which, which sounds odd because you lose to a title rival. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be calm. But before the match, Laporta came out and kind of ended the fears and the worries about Koeman and said, look, whatever happens today, he's staying. And until that, until that point, it seemed like, you know, 90, 95% probability that Laporta would sack Ronald Koeman ahead of the international break or in the international break after the Atletico game. But now, at least the club, in the last week or so, obviously a lot of the players have been away on international duty. But they have found a bit of calm. You know, there are less negative stories coming out of the club. And they're looking to go on from here ahead of a massive week. They play, obviously, Kiev on Wednesday, Dinamo, and then the Classico on Sunday. So this is a, it's a massive week for Barcelona. And really, obviously, having lost the first two games 3-0 in the group, they have to win again. They have to win this game. And they have to win it in the Classico. And so it's, it's like a huge, 
crunch week. So potentially that could play in Dinamo's hands. We'll see which game has the priority. Evidently, as you've mentioned, it sounds like both of them are priorities, but um, could see a drop-off if they're going to be focusing slightly more on the league or whatnot. Anyway, how far, if we're going to be relating this season's start, how far has it been a drop-off in recent years, would you say? Has it been massive? Has it been like startling? Or is this been coming under Koeman, even before Messi's leaving? The start of this season has been quite similar to how they played at the start of last season. When Messi had tried to leave in the summer, the club didn't let him leave. And Barca started the season very poorly under Koeman and really looked quite dysfunctional. And then in the second half of last season, Messi suddenly found his drive and his determination again. And they were, I won't say fantastic, because we saw that they're not an elite, elite team anymore. You know, they lost quite comfortably 4-1 against PSG and were knocked out of the Champions League. But within Spain, for a large part, the second half of last season, early 2021, they were the best team in Spain. They thrashed current league leaders, Real Sociedad, 6-1. They, they were very, very good. And, then, and they probably should have gone on to win the title last season, but threw it away against Granada. They lost at home against Granada to, to throw that away. So at the moment, this is, more, this is not like that. It's the first half of last season where they're in a bit of disarray. And like I said, it had, this is the week where things either turn around or it gets to a point where you just can't keep Ronald Koeman any longer, the coach. Bloody hell. So it's one of those. <laughs> going to be interesting. So in light of that, would a Dinamo victory be a shock in Spain? The sad state of Barcelona means very few things are shocking now. Uh, the Moldovan team beat Real Madrid in the Santiago Bernabeu. So if that can happen, Dinamo can absolutely beat Barcelona <laughs> at Camp Nou, right? There's no doubt they can come to Camp Nou and win, like, especially in this week of weeks, especially with the Clasico coming as well. Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a, a good time and maybe a bad time to play Barca because also this has to be the reaction to what's happened so far. Yeah, it's like the do or die moment. If they fall here, it could be fatal. Well, that's interesting. So if we're going to move on from Dinamo's expectations, so people won't be too surprised if they somehow pull off a result. In general, what's the view on Ukrainian football in Spain? Because I remember last year when Ukraine played Spain in two matches, Shakhtar have been playing Real Madrid of late, Barca and Dinamo have been meeting regularly too. Is it still held in the same esteem as maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or whenever when Ukrainian football was at a much better state of affairs and what's the general outlook or is it just some you know outpost in Eastern Europe <laughs> I think uh, probably a, a mix right I mean like there's the Dinamo Kiev Shakhtar Donetsk the teams that you see them you don't think oh that'll be an easy win right you see, you see them and think well you know outpost in, the, in, the, in Eastern Europe sure but a tricky outpost to get to go to and and go there, even though, you know, Barca won 4-0 in Kiev last season, but it's still not, you know, that's going to be seen as a tough trip in terms of the game, but also in terms of the actual journey, you know, in a, in a packed schedule with the, with the season as it is and, and having not really had a break the players for two years or something now. So, yeah, I think that it's, it's they're not seen as complete minnows, but it, it's, I mean, there is no doubt that, Dinamo Kiev is the easiest of, of Barca's fixtures and they are looking at 
getting six points is, is, the, is the plan in inverted commas here for the next two games. Yeah, that's interesting because, well, Real Madrid are playing Shakhtar this week as well. So it's uh, one of those Spanish-Ukrainian rendezvous that we're going to be having over the next three weeks when they meet again in the reverse fixtures. As you're based in Spain, do you want to give us maybe slight expectations on what the Real Madrid game is going to be like? How do you think, um, after that loss to Sheriff, what's the reaction been to Real Madrid and is the expectation that they must win in Kyiv, despite recent results where Shakhtar beat them twice away last, last season? Yeah, it's, that, that's fascinating. I think those games were are amazing, the Shakhtar Madrid games last season. And I don't think, I mean, Madrid always have an expectation of winning because that's what Real Madrid are. El Madrid is El Madrid. They're, they're the team that they go into every match expecting to win unreasonably quite often, I'd say. And uh, I mean, but this season, like you said, lose to Sheriff, lose at Espanyol, which is a stadium they normally win at. I think it's only the second time they've lost to Espanyol in... 20, 25 years or something. It's a long time. And they are in a, in a bad moment as well, Madrid. And it's been somewhat masked over by Karim Benzema's sensational form. The guy has nine goals and seven assists in eight La Liga games this season, which is, is proper Ballon d'Or winning level. I'm not saying he's going to win it. I think probably Lewandowski might, might be the, the, or should be the favourite. But Benzema is playing at an elite level, which is tapering over the, the cracks at Madrid. And the cracks are forming with those, with those recent results with the fact that Carlo Ancelotti has played 10 games a season with six different defences. So he hasn't quite got his, his back line in, in order. And Madrid have been, have been bad at the back. And Madrid have a lot of injuries. And it's been the case for a few years now. I mean, you have players like Gareth Bale who are always injured. But they've got, I think, eight or nine injuries at the moment, including Hazard, including yeah, a lot of important players, Ferland Mendy as well, which means that David Alaba is playing at centre-back. And if he's not playing centre-back, then Nacho and, and Militao are. And they mm. were good last season, but they've been really poor, especially Nacho this season. So it's definitely an area where, where Shakhtar can, can find some gains, for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's the one that people have got more hopes on the Ukrainian side doing something, even despite the crisis at Barca at the moment. And finally, I guess just to wrap up, this is just a question coming from a more advanced league compared to the Ukrainian one. And seeing how, you know, there were some proponents of the Super League in Spain last summer. What rule would you sort of like to be introduced that could potentially improve the competitions in European football? In terms of, is there something that could not prevent all these sides playing from each other over and over? But is there something else that maybe these lower sides could have better chances at playing each other. You know, we've seen the likes of Sheriff and the, and the lot. How could that be built on? Bit of a out there question, but it's any interesting ideas? question. I mean, my initial thought is that Sheriff beating Real Madrid is an amazing result for them, but I, I, you know, you still don't expect them to go through and you still expect Madrid to go through. So it's not like that's a result that seriously dented Madrid's hopes of getting through the group stage. So, I mean... Perhaps, and I don't know if this is, a, this is off the top of my head, I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but in the olden days, there wasn't a group stage. If you lost, you lost, and, and you're knocked out. And that gives those, those sort of underdog teams 
more hope, more of a chance of, of, of pulling off a giant killing. I think in the modern era, it's kind of impossible because none of the, the top clubs would ever agree to that. Mm-hmm. You know, Real Madrid would be without the Champions League if that was the case. <laughs> they were knocked out by, by Sheriff. But yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And if I knew the answer, I would get a job at FIFA and, and do a better <laughs> job than them than UEFA. <laughs> Absolutely. No, well, it looks like it's going to be even harder from next season, isn't it? When the league, or 2024, whenever the mm. 10... 10 team group stages start or whatever it's going to be pretty crazy but anyway thanks for joining us rick it's been it's been insightful and uh, good luck to the spanish teams but not too much luck <laughs> thanks andrew now andrew obviously we listened to what rick had to say there do dinamo have a realistic chance of i mean picking up three points and or or or, or are we just getting ahead of ourselves here well, I spoke to Rick on his podcast um, over the weekend too. And the thing that I said was that despite the fact that uh, Barca are in a massive crisis of their own, we've seen that Koeman is out of favour. They're not even getting crowds in after getting opening the stadium up the camp now to full capacity. I think they only had like 60% or something for their Valencia match. The problem is, is that Dinamo had the chance to face a quite weak Barcelona team last winter, last autumn in the Champions League, when Barca had a load of injuries and a load of COVID outbreak in their squad. And, you know, the likes of Martin Braithwaite was starting and a load of youth players. And Dinamo still lost 4-0. So if we're going to be going off the basis of that, and now I was just looking at their squad, you know, Ansu Fatty's back, Memphis Depay is in good form. At the end of the day, <laughs> I think it's still going to be a very tough task for Dynamo. And we saw how they played against Bayern, 5-0, you know, bloody hell. It's, it could be quite a difficult night. Last year, in this fixture in particular, yeah, Dinamo played really well. Tsahankov had quite a good game for his standards that have obviously dropped a lot in the past 12 months since. But I don't know. I don't think that it's going to be anywhere near as easy or as straightforward as some people think. If Dinamo even came away from a draw, it would be a massive positive result for them. Would we even be happy with a goal? At this stage, just a goal. I know uh, Ray, who sadly can't be with us today, has strongly predicted a nil in the goal column for Dinamo in this group. But uh, we'd love to see a goal. Just, just, just the one. Just the one. I, I, as 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 we've mentioned, there Barcelona's problems are huge. Are they that big that they they're overshadowing some of Dinamo's problems and? Let's be honest, even though Dinamo were top of the UPL, which we mentioned there, the league struggling for strength. Dinamo do have problems in their team at the moment, in my opinion. I mean, what's your take on the centre forward issue there with Dinamo these days, Andrew? Well, <laughs> some Dinamo fans might disagree with us on the basis that Harmash isn't the solution to all their problems. Yes, the guy's on form. Yes, he's a meme. Yes, he's everything. But when you're playing with him as your centre forward, false nine, out and out, whatever you want to call it, it just leaves a lot to be desired, especially when you bought two strikers in the summer. 
Ramirez has not had a chance really yet because he had COVID, he's had injuries, he's in and out the squad for whatever reason, coming back from Venezuela late and all this other stuff. He's in the squad for the Barca game. I actually hope that he starts. We've seen that Supraha got a bit of a bollocking from Luchescu on the weekend after he missed an open goal from like two yards out. Then he got booked for a stupid tackle. And then Luchescu sort of went for one of his own tried and tested methods that he's used on his Brazilians and all the other kind of thing in the past, where he just shouted at him, took him off and thinks that it might be a lesson. But when you actually look at the grand scheme of things, I don't think Supraha might be the kind of guy who's best receptive to that. Yeah, I agree. I It's also just very questionable with Supriaga that he's got the talent to, to perform at, at the top level. He had a great season with at the knee pro now two years ago. But even when you look a little bit deeper into the, the goals he got, bar for the hat-trick against Dinamo, most of them were against pretty poor teams. And he seemed to score a lot of his goals towards the end of the season when the knee pro were in the, the bottom half of the split that season as well. So it's not, not really the solution there. And as we say, yes... They scored a hatful of goals on Saturday. In Saturday, was it in Lviv when they played? It was Saturday, wasn't it? And yes, FC Lviv have been in the UPL for a number of years now, but they've hardly really challenged the top of the table during their time there. Um, quick question, Andrew. I, obviously, you're going to be at the game, and we mentioned about the sort of the atmosphere around camp now. Slightly alleviated after the 3-1 win against Valencia at the weekend. I think Fatty had a superb performance by all accounts, but they're still expecting quite a toxic atmosphere in the stadium. Do you think Didamo's players will thrive on that sort of toxicity directed at their opponents, or will it sort of potentially stifle them in, in the game? Mm, it's difficult to say. I mean, even if it's like a half-full stadium, it should be a decent buoyant atmosphere there's going to be around 200 dynamo fans apparently according to the official club sources they're going to be up in the gods though in that fifth tier so i don't know how much they're going to be heard in the grand scheme of things but yeah i mean i don't think the atmosphere is going to have much influence on it let's move on obviously let's talk a little bit about Shakhtar. And, and Zoria, well, we're at it as we, we both attended the game on Friday. And it was sort of a stark reminder of the problems facing the UPL. The, the game 12 during last season was one of the highlights of the year when Zoria grabbed that last minute winner uh, by a player who we all no longer mention following a great cross from Aladayu. Um, but we went to the stadium on Friday afternoon, hoping for some hope, some sort of little sprinkle of hope that we were going to get a good battle. And then we saw the Zoria lineup and all hope disappeared. And uh, not long after that, the goals started rattling in for Shakhtar. And of course, final score being 6 1. And to be frank, it could have been a lot more it could have been a lot worse for Zoria on that day. We had the surreal sort of experience of sitting in the press room after the game with Skripnik on his own, <laughs> with nobody there with him to support him. And it just felt like the sort of death knells of a club being rung 
uh, at the Olympic Stadium on Friday. It was a real sad, sad story. Shakhtar tried out their false nine solution to Triori again with uh, Pedrinho and Alan Patrick sort of dropping and floating around all over the place. Fernando started the first half wide left, so the gaffer could give him some instructions. It seemed to work. He got two goals and then got brought off at half-time and Mudrick was sent to play on the other side of the pitch, far away from the coach who couldn't give him any instructions and Mudrick didn't score. But Danny Sigan got an absolute cracker. Had to mention that after the, the question mark he put against him playing for the national team <laughs> earlier on in this part, mate. Um, you watched the game with me, of course, on Friday. Do you see the false nine as a potential to get goals against Real Madrid? Obviously, Rick, when you discussed it briefly with him, mentioned the problems they've got in defence. Do you, do you see some hope there that the way they played could cause some problems for Real's defence? Yeah, I think that if we're looking at the three Ukrainian sides that are in Europe this year, well, in Europe this week, Shakhtar have got the best chance of getting something they're at home, yeah, at the Olympiski, but you can expect a big crowd because Real Madrid are in town, uh, the only team that a lot of people know in football and will obviously be fleeting to the Olympiski to see that ahead of any sort of red zone calls that we might see down the line at some point. However, I think that taking on from, you know, seasons gone by and especially last season when Shakhtar did the double against Real Madrid. I think there's every opportunity that they could pull off a positive result slash not lose um, in that Tuesday fixture because they might be without Traore, but they put in quite a good showing against Inter. Yeah, nil-nil. They had a lot of chances that they couldn't really get anything from because there was no one to feed into the box. If Fernando starts in that position or sort of off the wing coming in against Zoria, okay, he was playing against some of the worst defending of all time and some of the slowest defending of all time on top of that. So I've got a feeling that if he doesn't start, it might even be best to put Dentinho as centre forward rather than play this false nine thing because we've seen how difficult it is for Shakhtar to actually carve chances well, against decent defences. Yeah, Rick has mentioned that there's been a bit of problems for Real Madrid at the back at the moment. And Carlo Ancelotti's not sort of doesn't really know his best 11, to say the least. So I think they need to try and go for something that might surprise them a bit. And Dentinho, who loves playing against Real Madrid, if anything, a lot of the memes are that he only plays against Real Madrid. Uh, and that's the only time he turns up. Maybe he can get another goal against them. Sadly, the biggest blow for Shakhtar is probably that Matvienko will miss the game. He's got a leg injury and he won't be playing. So we'll see how much of a blow that is. We'll probably see maybe even Bondar play in the middle and then Ismaili uh, at left wing. I don't know because I really don't want to see a partnership of Vital and Marlon. You know, it could be Krivtov in there as well, but... Oh. Actually, is a bit scary thinking about it, especially coming up a very informed Benzema. Yes, probably the the hottest striker in European football at the moment. Uh, I wait to be corrected on, but I, I mean Zoria. It's a sorry state there, isn't it? It just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. I, 
Is it is it me? Is it is it this season when it's all fallen apart, or in your opinion, you know, has this been a sort of a steady decline over the last few years? And last season's third place, quite simply, was by luck, <laughs> and the fact that nobody else was good enough to take it off a poor Zoria team. For me, I think it's all accumulated now. Agreed. They've had they've obviously been playing for that third spot for the past two seasons when even in some of the occasions they could have gone for the silver that was two seasons ago and with the loss of how many key players that they lost this summer we've been speaking about this all season since the start of the campaign with their poor starts in the league poor performances poor games and then this one just summarized it all uh, Dennis Favrov's not even been having the worst season but for some reason he didn't play and Kazakov, who had one of the worst performances probably we've seen from a player ever, centre mid was being playing fullback and he got completely turned inside out against um, Shakhtar. And it's like, is that going to be used again um, against CSK Sofia? I know that CSK Sofia are like the weakest side in inverted commas in the, in the group for Zoria, but you even fear for them to get a result against them, just the way that they're looking, the way that Skripnik just looks like he doesn't care. He knows that he's either going to be sacked or he's going to leave at the end of the season anyway. And then to add, make matters even worse, they're not even playing their best player anymore, Kocerhin. Me and you were questioning why he wasn't playing on Friday. We were like, what the hell, was he injured or something like that? So last week, the decision was made by the board to offer... Kacherhin a contract extension, a three-year contract extension, which according to Tata Care was basically on the same lines of his current deal. And as is a lot of Ukrainian clubs do this, they decide to try and renew a player's contract when it's already in the final year of the player's contract. And evidently Kacherhin, who was linked with Venezia in the summer, even last year he was linked with Wolfsburg and amongst other clubs, he just probably said no, because I don't want to be tied down to this sinking ship. Sad to say, that's what mm-hmm. it looks like at the moment, especially with Metalis coming up. We know that that third power and that third place, which they so need to survive by playing in Europe all the time, soon could be over. Kocherhin has been, I think, not by Skripnik, but by like the hierarchy of Hen Heller, who's the owner of the club, has been forced to train with the under-19s. And apparently for the formidable future, um, for the foreseeable future, he will be playing slash training with those. And it's just shooting Zoria in the foot, if anything, because they've lost their best player, probably the most informed player. And we've seen the results of it, some terrible performances. Really have. They were so poor. It was, it was, it was quite sad to see. It really was. And... I'm going to argue against you here a little bit. I mean, CSKA, they may have been the fourth seed in the group, but they certainly aren't the weakest team in the group. That's Zoria for me, without a shadow of a doubt. CSK drew with Bodo, the Norwegians, in their last game, who obviously beat Zoria comprehensively in Norway. They've only... uh, out of their eight league games so far this season, they've won seven, drawn just the one. And <laughs> they're looking quite a formidable outfit made up of a bit like with Sheriff 
players brought in from all over the world. There were Africans, Latin Americans, and a smattering of Europeans in the squad. And I think the token Bulgarian may play as well on Thursday night. But it's 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 going to be a lot harder than many people expect. And I for I for one will be shocked if Soria. I'll even pick up a point from that game in Sofia. Hopefully they'll get their act together for the game in Zaporizhia in, in a few weeks' time, but this will be a very difficult experience, I I predict, for them. I also, I mean, I do, the Cochrane thing is, it's a sad thing for me personally, having him in my fantasy football team, I've got to say as well, will certainly be using one of my transfers this week on him. But uh, I, I think it's probably, yeah, they've also at the end of their tether seen players walk out year on year, refusing to sign, sign contracts. And I think he's probably had the, the wrath of two years of people leaving for next to nothing. And it's it's proven a bit of a problem. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, two seasons ago, when, when Chibanko and Mikhail Lichenko left, they received small fees when those guys sort of agreed their moves towards the end of their contracts. But then last year, of course, the guys didn't get any fees in. So I think maybe we're seeing a, a reaction to that, and there may be a, a change of strategy if the club survives. You know, even if they get third place this year, they won't be going into the group stages of the Europa League. That's 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 for sure. And it'll only be the group stages of the Conference League for them next season if if they manage to get third place, which isn't looking likely at the moment. Right. I mean, Andrew, it's been great. Now, predictions time. What does your heart say for the three matches this week? Yeah, I think that Shakhtar could get a, a cheeky win. 2-1 against Real Madrid in Kiev. Wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And I think someone needs to get something positive for Ukrainian sides if it's going to be anyone. Dinamo? I don't know. I think they might put up a bit more of a fight than we saw against Bayern because of obviously the struggles. But ultimately, I see something like 3-1 Barcelona. Just like the second half in particular, they'll be slightly too strong quality-wise. And then Zoria, yeah, like we've said, a lost cause, sadly, in my opinion. I don't think it's going to be a battering, but something like 2-0, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to CSK. But I'm very looking forward to seeing them prove us both wrong. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? I'll say... That's it for tonight, everyone. Of course, Andrew's going to be in, in Barcelona the next 48 hours, I, I assume, and uh, will be bringing us tweets and all sorts of great things uh, across the social medias. I'm happy to announce as well, I've joined World Football Index over the last few weeks. So my first article where I'll be discussing a number of the things that we've mentioned tonight as well will be coming out this week ahead of the Barcelona game, which I'm looking forward to as, as well. Um, Andrew, for, for people listening uh, who are new, 
of course, don't know us. If they know us, they'll probably have heard this a million times before. What are your social media handles? Zoria Londonsk on Instagram and Twitter. And then, well, subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. Uh, Ukraine plus football. Lots of new episodes of the tour coming up. New vlogs from away days that I'll be doing. And streams as well coming up in the future. And lots of exciting stuff there. Make sure you hit it, guys. Absolutely smash it. And of course, I'm Adam at Ukrafot24. You can follow me across all the social media pages as well. But till next time, everyone, it's been great to be back on a podcast for a change. But till the next one, take care, stay safe, and uh, see you then. Bye bye for now. Yeah.